Uh, Open up your copy of God's words to John's gospel. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of uh, John chapter 7. I can be honest, it was a tough text to kind of wrestle with. Um, A lot of the times things kind of jump out to you and they almost preach themselves and I had to dig. Um, I had to dig around. So it was was not an easy one. It was tough for me to kind of get my head around, but I do think that uh, the Holy Spirit has a word this morning. That's my prayer, at least. Um, you know, it's important to remember every single book of the Bible is centered around Jesus. Some more obviously than others, but everyone is centered around Jesus. And the thing I love about John's gospel is um, it just keeps coming after you, play after play after play. It's kind of like Alabama's defense. I mean, it just it is just it's smacking you in the face, play after play after play, and especially... Um, where we are in John's gospel at the point of Jesus's ministry. Basically, he's really wanting people to know who he is. And he wants people to have great clarity over over who he is. And so I think after digging around in in these first few verses that I'm gonna read here, I think the the kind of the big point that he would have and, and that I want you guys to get is this. Jesus wants people to have great clarity over who he is. So that's gonna be kind of our... Uh, kind of our, our base point this morning. And this is so much of where we've been looking uh, in John's gospel, is he, he really wants people to know, hey, I'm, I'm this Jesus, I'm this Savior, not this Jesus, not this Savior that you might think I am. So let me read John 7, starting in verse 1 to verse 13, and we'll talk about it. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Let's ask God for help. Father, we need your help to discern uh, what this means or what the intent is. And we need your help to apply it to our lives, to actually take something from it and plug it into our existence and, and allow it to change us and transform our minds and ultimately our lives. And so we beg you to do that through your spirit and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so suddenly it's cold, you know, again uh, in Memphis. And for those of us who wake up early enough to, to, to go outside, you have to deal with frost and ice on the windshield now. Um, which is just a pain. And I'm not a patient person. And so the mornings I forget to go out early enough to, you know, crank the car up and let it run for 10 or 12 minutes, 
you know, where it's kind of gone and nice and toasty when you get in. You get in and the windshield, you can't see through it. I mean, it's just kind of foggy, you know, it's icy. So I'm the kind of person, I'm, I'm not patient. And so if I just get a clearance of about, you know, like an inch and a half, like I'm good to go, at least for the, for the foreseeable future. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm good. I can see, I see like that much of, you know, the road ahead, but, but I'm going to be okay. And um, I think that a lot of us are very guilty of making that mistake in how we view Jesus. Um, our view of him is just kind of foggy. And um, we, we get a little glimpse, and yet we don't see the big picture. And these people in our text, you know, if you remember what we were looking at a couple of weeks ago, thousands of people, literally thousands, had just walked away from Jesus because as the frost began to defrost, and they were getting a, a clearer picture of really Jesus' demands, his demands for their life, his demands for all of them, they're going, oh, okay. We like the, the, the Jesus that we saw doing miracles and, you know, filling our stomachs and kind of serving us. That, that was the piece of Jesus we could take. But now that we're seeing these strange things that he's teaching, these strange things that he's offering, eh, not sure that that's the Jesus that we signed up for. And so oftentimes our view of Jesus is the same. It's kind of foggy. It's not clear. And he really wants us to have clarity, um, clarity over who he is. So last time we were in verse, you know, we ended in verse 71 of chapter six, and now we're in the very next spot, chapter one of verse seven. And you would think, you know, his after this meant like a day or an hour. Well, it was six months, you know, and John, uh, he, he doesn't hide anything from us. Later in his gospel, he tells us, hey, there's no way I could write down everything that Jesus did and said, you know, all the books in the world couldn't hold that stuff. So we've had about six months and we know that because around the time where he was feeding the 5,000 and he started teaching about, you know, who I am, I'm the bread of life and, you know, all this weird stuff. It was around Passover time, which was on the Jewish calendar and it happened in the spring. And now it says it's the feast of of booths or the feast of the tabernacle, which happens later. It happens in the fall. And it was a big celebration that, um, you know, they would celebrate that the harvest is over um, and it would kind of commemorate how um, their ancestors were, you know, fed in the wilderness. And so we know that about six months time has passed. Jesus' ministry is kind of picking up steam, if you will, but he's also gaining enemies because he's kind of hanging around and, and ministering and the hyper-religious of the day, the Pharisees, they're losing control. They're hearing more and more murmuring about this guy, Jesus, and his strange teachings and how he's kind of undoing everything that they had been trying to establish. So a lot of time has passed, um, and, and, and we know that Jesus' time had not yet come when he was going to be arrested and, and put on trial and, and murdered. And God's timing is, is not our timing. So his brothers, kind of self-appointed campaign managers, were going, dude, you're doing some awesome stuff. Like, this is a prime opportunity. This, this big feast of the booths where, where all of the Jews are going to have to come. If you could do some magic there, like, you could have so many people join Team Jesus. Like, going up there and Jesus goes, it's, I'm not here to put on a show to exalt me, I'm here to, to obey and to honor the Father, and so my time has not yet come. So that's what it means when it says he went in secret. He knows if he just marched in there with the big caravan, the Jews would go, there he is, he's a heretic, kill him. And it wasn't time for that yet. So that's the simple explanation of this. But what does this mean? 
I mean, what does this kind of picture, what does this scene mean? What does his brothers mean when they say, hey, no one works in secret if they want to be known going up there? What does it mean that his brothers didn't believe him yet? And more importantly, what can we take and, and apply, you know, from this text this morning? So I've uh, broken it down into three different things, and I want to draw your attention to the first one um, now, and it's this, misunderstanding Jesus. And this is what his brothers, his blood brothers did. You know that Jesus had brothers. Um, Mary did not remain uh, a virgin um, despite a lot of heresies out there. Um, She was married and they uh, had kids. Jesus had brothers. Have you ever read the book Jude in the New Testament? Really short little book. Guy's name was Judas who wrote it. Jude, not the Judas who betrayed Jesus. That was Jesus's brother. I mean, blood brother. James, have you ever read the book of James? Jesus's brother. And he had two other brothers as well. So in our text, it says that his brothers, look at verse three, said to him, hey, leave here, go to Judea. That's where the festival was, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. No one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Well, they were misunderstanding who Jesus was in essence and what he was here to do, his own brothers. Um, how many of you get pumped when you walk into a classroom at school and there's a substitute? Yes. You know what I'm talking about. I used, to get, I used to get totally jacked when I'd walk in and there was a sub. Why? Was it because, yes, my knowledge base will continue to expand uninterrupted um, by this substitute expert? No. It was like, oh, easy day. <laughs> like free day. You know, they don't know what's, gonna, what's going on. We can tell them, oh, yeah, yeah, we already covered that. So uh, she normally lets us have nap time for the next hour. Oh, okay. I used to love when a substitute teacher would be there. Why? I would easily get on board with a substitute teacher. Why? Because, I mean, I I, I benefited from it. I got something out of it. Well, Jesus, he's bringing good news, but it's not quite the kind of good news that even his brothers were wanting. He was bringing good news, but the good news that they were wrapping their mind around was what a lot of his following was wrapping around, which is, you're going to do stuff for us. These dead gum Romans who are oppressing us, we're going to go because we've seen you do magic now. You know, you've fed 5,000 people when there was only a few baskets. You've done this. You've healed this guy. Oh, my goodness. You remember that trick he did at the wedding? Like, it was water, and he made it into awesome, like, Merlot. Like, you're going to take care of business. And so that's how his, even his own brothers were approaching Jesus. They were guilty of doing what these half-hearted disciples were doing, following him, for what he could get them, following him, for what he could gain them. Now, a lot of commentators, they disagree on his brother's motives in telling him, show yourself to the world. Some say they were almost like angrily like taunting Jesus, their own brother. Like, huh, well, no one works at secret who's, you know, got it all together. Why don't you go and show yourself? Something, it was just, you know, ill-advised, like, oh, this is our chance. This is how we're going to get big. It doesn't really matter what their motive was because the bottom line is this, regardless of their motive, it was a very worldly approach to advancing their cause. It was kind of like, hey, Jesus, if you want to be this boss religious leader, I mean, you got to put yourself out there. You got to make a big splash. I mean, this is how the world would do it. You got to make some noise, you know, flex your muscle, show some authority, get out there, make a splash. It's as if his brothers, again, were kind of these self-appointed cheerleaders, campaign managers of Jesus's. You know, and the reality is this, um, a lot of churches 
And a lot of ministries, I mean, even in our own neighborhood and, and certainly in this, in this country, do the same thing. They, they, they kind of sometimes feel like Jesus's message needs, needs a little bit of infusion with, with relevant culture. We need to kind of ease it just a little bit. We need to update it a little bit if we're going to get people on Team Jesus. If we Christians want to be relevant, if we want to be, um, if we want to reach people, we kind of need to, need to cloak some of the craziness of, of Jesus, some of his, his harsh demands, and just kind of, you know, give him, give him a little bit of a revamp, kind of freshen him up. And in essence, this is what, again, his own brothers were doing. Dude, we're going to go into town and you're going to do some cool stuff. And then people are going to be like, oh, wow. All right, we're going to get on board with this guy because he, he feeds us well. He makes water into wine. Okay, yeah, we can get on board with that. Now, the reality is this. Um, Jesus' message does not need updating. Uh, it does not need refreshing. You know, you're going, man. I mean, we're just progressing as a human race. It's now 2014. Are you sure we keep, there's not a little wiggle room on, you know, is God's word really clear on this whole homosexuality debate and what marriage is? I mean, it does say he's love. And I mean, if we can't, can't there be a way that we can kind of go, well, maybe we've, we've evolved a little bit and it doesn't mean really what that is. You know, I remember after the uh, 2012 presidential election, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, especially, you know, in the, in, the, in the churchy South, you know, we're not happy with the results of that election. You know, Obama gets back in office and, um, and, and a lot of people are elected into the, to the Senate and the House and all that good stuff. And it's like, oh, the world's going to crumble. And I remember the Republican Party after that, you know, the rhetoric for the, le- for the next few weeks were how we've, we've got to change. You know, we've got to make ourselves more relevant for a younger demographic. You know, we're losing them. They think we're, you know, just these right wing, you know, fuddy duddies, you know, old white guys who don't get it. And so they're kind of talking about how, man, we're going to have to, we're going to have to give a little bit on immigration. We're going to have to give a little bit on some social issues because we're just coming off too harsh. And a lot of times we think that Jesus's message needs that same kind of tweaking. You know, we, we think that, gosh, I mean, if, in 2014, we're going to be conservative Christians. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to give a little bit because people, people are looking at us going, whoa, you, you, are missing, you are missing the change that is inevitable. Guys, even his own brothers misunderstood what he was here to do, who he was here to save, who he was here to renovate. His message is something that he never budges on. It never needs refreshing. It never needs updating. It never needs tweaking for some kind of a target market. And oftentimes we get confused and we misunderstand Jesus's mission. So misunderstanding inevitably leads to this, not believing Jesus. You know, we, we might be tempted to think, well, come on. These guys, they didn't have a closed canon. They didn't have everything now that we know about their own brother. I mean, they misunderstood a little bit. Big deal. But verse five makes it a big deal. Look at what it says. For not even his brothers believed in him. You see, that has scary implications because I think what it means is this. To misunderstand Jesus, it's equating that to not believing in Jesus. And that's scary. 
that's really scary because who is not believing here? What does verse five say? Who is not believing in Jesus? Is it the stoic? Is it the philosopher? Is it the cult member? Is it the atheist? Is it the Pharisee? No, it's his own brothers who had lived with Jesus, who grew up around Jesus, who knew a lot about Jesus, who had seen Jesus in in a lot of different scenarios. They were the ones who weren't believing in Jesus. My friends, my question to you, and why I'm saying it's scary is this, how many of you are brothers? You've grown up around Jesus. You've seen Jesus doing some work and some stuff. You like Jesus but you misunderstand and you don't actually believe in Jesus. You know, if you were to go up and ask these guys, if you were to go up to to Judas, go up to James, go up to John, his brothers, and go, hey, do you believe in your brother? They would, of course, reply, yeah, of course. Uh, We've seen his miracles. We've seen his character. Um, We want him to get popular. That's what we're trying trying to encourage him to go up to this feast. Of course we believe in him. And yet we have verse five. Even his own brothers were not believing in him. Friend, you must ask yourself, which Jesus do I believe in? Look up here. I want everyone to, I want everyone to lock in. That's a question that you have to ask yourself at some point. Which Jesus do I believe in? Is it the one of this book? whose agenda is to come and to take ownership of your heart and to take ownership of your life? Or is it the kind of this made up Southern Jesus that we've kind of built kind of like Legos through the years? Oh yeah, I learned some stories and some stuff. And oh yeah, Jesus, he's the bread of life. Oh, he can satisfy me when a girl won't. Okay, yeah, and we kind of build this Jesus. Do you worship and do you believe in that kind of Jesus? Or do you believe in the Jesus of this book? You know, when we expect things of Jesus that aren't part of his agenda, like his brothers were doing, like his disciples were doing, dude, we got a strike, man. We're your campaign managers. We know what you need. You go up here, you do some stuff, you're going to get a big following. It's going to be awesome. When we add things to Jesus's agenda that aren't there, then we're not worshiping the Jesus of this book. We're confusing his lordship, his total lordship over our life for kind of him being a shareholder who owns a few shares of our life, but not all of it. And what it is in essence, it's, it's Osteen theology. And that's kind of the, the, the biggest false gospel that we're up against right now, I think in our American Christian context is it's called the prosperity gospel, right? We talked about it Wednesday night via, you know, Jake's tweet. It's kind of like, all right, God, I'm going to do some stuff for you. I'm going to like be faithful. I'm going to build up some faith. I'm going to try really hard, be a good person. And now you owe me something. It's kind of a contract, right? All right, you do this for me and I'll do that for you. It's called the prosperity gospel and it's a very false gospel. Uh, I had a friend ask me this past week, a, uh, um, a friend who's in ministry, he shot me a text message and said, have you ever heard, or what are your thoughts on the book, The Circle Maker? Has anyone ever heard of The Circle Maker? I'd never even heard of it. I had to put it on Amazon. I looked it up though, because I was like, actually, I've never heard of it. Let me look it up. It's called the circle maker. Here's kind of the tagline. Praying circles around your biggest dreams and greatest fears. I was like, ooh. I was like, hold on, let me look. So I looked at some of the table of contents, look at the chapter, look at the endorsements. Bleh. I looked at, uh, I kind of read a little bit of um, 
about the author and what he was saying. Here's a, here's, here was a snippet out of the book. Do you ever sense that there's far more to prayer and to God's vision for your life than what you're experiencing? Because we're, we're just, we're, we so want to experience things, feel things. It's time you learn from the legend of Honey, the circle maker, a man bold enough to draw a circle in the sand and not budge from inside it until God answered his prayers for his people. What impossibly big dream is God calling you to draw a prayer circle around? Now, I'm all about um, having confident faith that God will, will do things and move. And the, and, the, and the Bible promises us a lot of stuff. It makes a lot of claims that we can take to the bank. But that's garbage, Because what it sounds like is that we're putting God in our debt. God, I'm not budging until you do it this way. I'm not budging until you make it happen that way. Now look, when you're united to Christ in faith, here's the the brutal, honest truth, okay? I want you to know this. When, When you realize that you're sinful and you just throw yourself on the mercy of God and go, I got nothing. Jesus, you're everything. Fill me up. Forgive me. Here I am. When you do that and you're united to Christ in faith, he does not guarantee health. He does not guarantee wealth. He does not guarantee a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or money or a great career or really even happiness. That's not his guarantee. Here's what he does guarantee. The forgiveness of sin that had you condemned and sentenced to hell. Um, Reconciliation to a holy and just father. And how about this one? This is, I guess, kind of nice. Eternal life. That's what he guarantees. And so stuff like this and so many other books and so many other sermons out there that go, you know, I'm gonna hold up my end of the contract. If you hold up your end, we're kind of meeting the middle. It's a false gospel. It's absolutely trash. What God tells us is, hey, your best life, it's coming way later, not now. And his brothers, even his followers in the circle who were around him and grew up with him were missing this by not believing in his sufficiency over all things. My question would be to you is this, is, is that you in a way? You know, are, are you one of his brothers? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And yet our text says they weren't yet believing in him. Now, obviously we know at least two did. We know that, that Jude and James uh, later on kind of, oh my goodness, you know, their eyes were open and they got it. Last thing, and then I'm done, is this, a controversial Jesus. Look at verse 11. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. And for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of the best preachers ever and best theologians ever, uh, tweeted this yesterday. He didn't tweet it. He's been dead for a long time. Maybe it was his son, 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 son. Here's, here's what the tweet read, though. Do not believe the gospel has been preached in Christ's way if it does not make some angry and some happy. Did you get that? Do not believe the gospel has been preached in Christ's way if it does not make some angry and some happy. 
You see, a fake Jesus doesn't really disrupt. An American Jesus is kind of this sweet hipster guy who's, you know, rocking a cool beard and, and, and the, the first version of Chaco's who teaches you how to Instagram yourself holding poor kids and saving the whales. That's, that's American Jesus. He's, he's a nice guy. He's teaching us about how to, how to love and how to live in harmony. He's a nice guy. And that is not the Jesus of this Bible because the Jesus of this book brings division. He brings offensive demands. He brings a very offensive message. And it's that, hey, you're not good. And, and you're not good at all. You're born evil. You're born bad. You only want to do bad. Even the good that you do is self-centered, so it's bad. And you need someone else. You need an, an, an agent outside of you, totally alien of you to save you. That absolutely ticks us off. We hate that. We loathe that. As a culture, I mean, we, we despise it. And yet that is his message. And that's why thousands bailed in the last chapter. They start hearing him actually teach. Go back and read John 6 and these things that he's saying, hey, you can't come to me unless the father draws you. That absolutely infuriates them. And so they bail. They say, uh, see ya. Because the gospel is intrusive. It digs deep. You know, that thing that you're ashamed of, that stuff that's way down there that no one else knows about. Jesus wants to show us that stuff, not to embarrass us or to shame us, but he wants to hold up the mirror of his son and, and show us, hey, I'm the one who can take that stuff and redeem it. I want it. I'll exchange your messed up record with, with my perfect one. You see, the gospel is very intrusive. It's very offensive. Because love is intrusive. You know, and, and just kind of a side note, do you want to know how God intrudes our lives? It's through his word. And so many of you, oftentimes you're out of range of his word. I mean, maybe you, you manage to make it in here once a week, you know, or two or three times a month. And you're like, okay, I'm checking that off. Maybe you limp in here and you, you tune in for two to three minutes of what I'm saying, probably for the very first two or three minutes, you know, and then you're, then you're gone. But so many of you are starved of a diet of God's word. And that is the catalyst for how he intrudes into our life. That is the catalyst for how he holds up a mirror. You know, you think about it, if you're getting ready in the morning and you never look at a mirror, which I, I think many guys actually don't, um, just based off of your physical appearance. But if you never look in the mirror, you're just kind of, you're getting dressed in the dark, you know, you have mismatched shoes and socks and thing, and your hair is crazy, which I have to battle with all the time. Um, but you're, you know, you get, there's no mirror to see yourself correctly. You just go through your day. You're going to look just kind of ragtag, you know, put together. And you know, what you neglect when, when, when you never, ever have anything to do with this is you never even put yourself in front of a mirror. You know, we sing uh, in, in at Calvary, we sing by God's word, at last my sin I learned, then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Apart from this, you're not gonna know that you'd spurned any law 
or that you've broken any law or that you're sinful at all. Hebrews 4, 12 tells us, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's a mirror. And so many of you never, ever, ever look into a mirror. You know, have you ever been listening maybe to a sermon or you're sitting in a small group and you just start sweating even internally and you're like, oh my gosh, he is talking about me. How did he know that? Did my mom email him? Like, oh my gosh, what is going on? I know he's, oh, he's talking exactly about me. There's, there's really no secrets. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the intrusion of, of truth bursting into your life. Some of you might feel that, you might experience that this morning. Hey, don't dismiss that. Don't dismiss the mirror. Jesus wants to intrude so that he can expose what it is that we actually worship. But with intrusion, with a very bold, big gospel message comes controversy, is it not? You know, bring a Bible to school, crack it open and start reading. Unless you're in like a, 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 a private Christian school context, even then you'd probably get some kind of jabs or some kind of whatever. But, but just, you know, try that and, and, and see if, if some kind of controversy doesn't arise. And Jesus is very okay and very comfortable with being controversial. He doesn't need our good PR. His message doesn't need to be sweetened and dumbed down like, okay. And, you know, that's, a, that's my problem with a lot of churches and a lot of parachurch ministries um, around here is their, their philosophy is kind of like, okay, if we want people to join team Jesus, we got to show them how much we're like them. If we can be as close to the world as possible and then get them in and kind of bait and switch like, haha, see, we're not so weird. We're not so different. And just reading through the gospels, I never see Jesus do that. I never see him kind of go, Hey world, I'm pretty much like you just with a few crazy ideas. I see him from the ground up going, yeah, you're going to think I'm nuts. This is so anti-culture, anti-world. And we should be the same. We should be the same, of course, in a loving way. Of course, in a way that's sensitive to our culture, right? But in a bold way, a way that, that would not shy away from controversy. We don't have to stand up with a megaphone and invite controversy, but certainly we should be people who aren't scared of that or at least don't shy away from that. Let me close with this. Um, Jesus wants people to have clarity concerning who he is and, and who they are and, and what he offers to sinners. And my question to you would be this, do you have that kind of clarity? His brothers who I really think that they knew him. I mean, they thought that of course we believe in him. Apparently did not. I mean, do you have affections for Jesus at all? Do you have affections? Is there a desire in your heart to know him more? If so, hey, be encouraged. Because in our natural state, we're, we're enemies of God. We don't want anything to do with him. So if you have any affections at all, be encouraged. But do you know God? Do you hunger to know him more? Do you hunger for his word? Do you hate your sin more and more? Do you see your life being changed, even if it's slower than you wish at some points? Do you see it being changed? Can you measure any kind of growth in your life? Do you love people better? 
Guys, even his brothers missed it and they lived with Jesus and they followed him around and they saw what he was doing. They saw all sorts of things. That's scary because that says something about the blindness of of natural human eyes, the deadness of the human heart. So are you missing it? You know, you might be rubbing elbows all day long with who you think is Jesus, but are you missing who he really is and what his mission is really all about? It's a question that only you and the Holy Spirit can answer. So let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your um, son's ministry. You're giving him to us, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, And we thank you that in your providence and in your grace, you appointed men to write things down about him so that we could know him. That is such a gift. Thousands of years later, you would still be speaking to your church. You would still be um, making disciples. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that. We don't take that lightly. Lord, for those who are walking around thinking that they're following Jesus, thinking that Jesus is their brother whom they believe in, Lord, would you reveal to them that they quite possibly might be missing it? And Lord, would you very um, kindly show them the remedy for missing it, Lord, which is your son, your real son, uh, Lord, who demands all of us. Father, will you accomplish these things, Lord, for the glory of your name and uh, for the good of us? We ask it only in Christ's name. Amen.